0: for future episodes as well. Will I listen to your suggestion? There's only one way to find out. Patreon.com slash pod. Bye! Welcome to Meet Meet, the Roadrunner podcast, where we go through the albums of Roadrunner records with the artists who made them, musicians they influenced let's roll (laughs) what up what up meepsters i'm ryan rainbow and today we're celebrating the fifth anniversary of code orange's roadrunner debut album forever Released January 13th, 2017, and since then, Code Orange have become one of the biggest bands in the world. And I don't even think that's an exaggeration, but maybe it is, but I don't think so. But instead of opinion, here's some some facts for you. This album, Forever, has a song called Forever that was nominated for a Grammy this year, that it was released 2017. And you may think that that's not a big deal, oh, who cares about the Grammys, but that's what people who don't win Grammys or get nominated for them say. And just to give you how much of a big deal it was. Most of the time, this award for Best Hard Rock Metal Performance is given to Metallica. In fact, in 2016, it was given to Megadeth. These are huge legacy acts that have been around for decades. So for a band like Code Orange, who not only are new, but also sound like this... To be nominated right after the award was won by something that sounds like this, that's a pretty big deal. But a lot has happened for the band since the release of Forever, and a lot happened for the band before the release of Forever. So we talk about kind of how all of it ties together, how Forever builds into underneath, how that builds into what they're doing now, and who better to give us the insight on how that all goes down and how it all transpired than frontman Jamie Morgan of Code Orange himself lays it all out for us and is very forthcoming and very insightful on the creative process and really made me like the band and the album more so hopefully it does the same for you but either way code orange orange is forever Five years since Forever came out, which it seems like a lifetime probably for you. I mean, you've done so much since then. It seems like Code Orange is a completely different band now with uh, having Out for Blood recently came out. If someone heard Out for Blood and then heard, I don't know, the song Forever, they wouldn't probably immediately think this is the same group of people. So even before you do Forever, though, of course, you guys are a band for a long time. And it seems like you personally do have a, uh, a appreciation for the history of Roadrunner. So was being on Roadrunner like a really big deal for you at the time?
1: Originally, to be honest, we were pretty uncertain about it. Like, because just because of the world that we have been entrenched in, in for so long, which I think is a smart instinct to have, honestly. And they try to make you kind of unlearn that instinct. And you kind of have to in a way, but you should always keep Some level of skepticism to these big companies and stuff because history exists for a reason and history repeats itself. So you know we had our worries for sure. The A and R guy there, Dave Brass, is who definitely sold us. Actually, when we first met him, we hated him. We'll never. I literally told the other A and R guy we'll never sign there. But then we he just clicked on me. I don't know what it was. And then we just now we're like really really close like to this day. But yeah, so they just worked on us, to be honest. They just worked on us. That's what they do. (laughs) And it worked. But yeah, I mean, historically, catalog-wise, there's not a better metal label to be on. But also, you know, the reality is it's not the same structure that it was then. But Dave Rath was there for a lot of that stuff, and he was involved in a lot of that. That's kind of what kept us connected, because I felt like, okay, you were there for a lot of this. You were a part of all of it. And then obviously there's Monty Connor who, who isn't there, who I don't know. I've met him once or twice, but but Dave was there and we had similar ideas of what to do. So it just made sense. At least when Dave was there, Dave helped cultivate a label that had, had all at the same time, you know, last year. This is changing now very fast, but it had Slipknot, Corn. Turnstile, Code Orange, Gojira. I mean, all these bands on the same label, so its if you look at the landscape now, it's still pretty, in my opinion, pretty damn stacked, even though there's other stuff on there that doesn't necessarily relate to what we do as well. But he still was doing a really good job A&R, I mean, I think just pulling in, you know, us and Gojira and Turnstyle, like, and, you know, even like newer bands, like Unto Others, and Higher power and angel dust. Like there was a there was cool thing, a lot of cool things going on. So I got to give credit where it's due because he he put that all together.
0: Well, you know that's that's absolutely a great point to make. That it's not that the the lineup isn't stacked by any means because I like most, if not all, of those bands. You, I also like Dana Dentata, another newer signee. So um, yeah, her too. It's not that uh, the and there's a
1: lot of other ones too that I'm not mentioning that are all cool in their own way. I don't know all, all of them and stuff, and some of them do stuff that doesn't relate to us, but a lot of bands who would do really well, like really well.
0: Now, when the A&R listed on this album forever is listed as the click. Mm -hmm. I was told a long time ago that uh, you actually had an idea for a roadrunner, red and black NWO style. Can you tell me about that?
1: Yeah. I mean, it wasn't meant to be wrestling related or anything. It just inspired, which if you actually look at the wrestling version of it, that was extremely, un was a horribly unsuccessful idea. So, but I just thought it was more the idea. I've had a lot of ideas that I've tried to do. They don't want to do any of them. So, but one of the, you know, the first main one was, to. I just thought it would be a cool idea, like in the way we were just describing, like the way people look at it is that like a certain time period of Roadrunner, there were all these bands and there was obviously a lot of connections between a lot of those bands, which is part of it. But like, it felt like a thing, you know, and my thing I'm always trying to do from like, a make those kinds of impressions on people, which I find to be really difficult, especially with music now. So it wasn't, you know, the idea was long and short to just kind of create a sub brand of Roadrunner that was still Roadrunner, but that had some of the newer and up and coming things on it it would be the same machine because there's no way around that the way that they're set up but it would just be more of like an artistic aesthetic idea and to do the branding a little bit differently and to do the you know to make a thing out of it that was my idea i thought that that would help propel all of us a little bit you know people love a new i love at least you know a new a new wave and it's hard to get others on board for things like that but it wouldn't be to like divide away from those bands it would be more just to create a fresh thing you know and i have i i do learn try to learn a lot from art and television and books and movies and obviously like we all do and wrestling is part of my life and culture and obviously that's it's used in a certain way in terms of like factions and things like that but it wasn't to be like some big so i i wasn't meaning it for, for it to be like something where we're kind of start uh issues it was more just like let's separate a little bit so we can kind of create a cool separate culture and you can brand stuff off of that you can do a cd and you can do a tour and you can do merch and make it cool and fresh and they just couldn't even begin to think of how that would be possible i guess so i don't know i mean i want i would have gotten to the nitty-gritty on it but yeah we'll be back after a quick break If you love good music and good podcasts, you'll love Roots Music Rambler. I'm Jason Falls. My co-host, Francesca Folonazzo, and I talk to the singers, songwriters, musicians, and more in Americana, alt country, bluegrass, folk, blues, and beyond. We share our own takes on the latest news in the space and recommend new music for you to explore every episode. Come get to the roots of the music you love. Find us at RootsMusicRambler.com or go wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to Roots Music Rambler.
0: so speaking of wrestling though the same year that forever comes out bleeding in the blur which is on forever is the nxt takeover three brooklyn theme song and you perform at the show the alistair black theme with uh brendan from incendiary so how did that collaboration happen was that through roadrunner or through you making connections in wrestling how did that happen
1: That one started off as through, I'm trying to remember, like it started through Roadrunner trying to get the song on there. And then it was just, I what we did, which is like they gave us an inch and we just tried to take a mile. So basically they were like, we're going to do this, use the song. And we were like, is there any way we can perform? We'll be there. This was like a week and a half before the show. So it was very tight. We'll be there. And then the idea came about of us doing that entrance as well. So we just focused. I'm learning that and we had to make these like demos to send them to like prove to them we can do it because we convinced them that we weren't going to use backing tracks or anything of any kind and we weren't on the clip on a click or anything so it's just completely freehand which is really crazy for like a live pay-per-view situation like it's actually live it's not like late night tv it was like 30 seconds delay or something so if i just like drop my sticks it will be over um they let us do it. We went and rehearsed, and Triple H came down to our rehearsal space at like midnight. We like waited there for him all night, and it was like one of the best moments of my life. It was awesome.
0: Yeah, that sounds sick. Like, that that sounds like a fantasy sentence. Triple H came down to the rehearsal space.
1: I mean, I was shaking. I was like, "Oh my god!" I was like, "Really?" Because you know, I always grew up going and being a really big fan, and I would always go and always be super far. Like the people were this big, you know. And I remember even just getting a glimpse of, glimpse of anybody out at the arena. Like anybody, like most D-list person was like, make my heart go crazy. And then all of a sudden, you know, kind of manifested it into some kind of, into this crazy reality. So it was pretty cool. I don't know. And I was, I've been able to have like long conversations with Triple H and it's been literally awesome. And you definitely don't go down that road. Because <laughs> I don't <laughs> think that he wants to be a part of that. <laughs> so he's just talk about music.
0: Yeah, so I know you guys did stuff with uh, well, I shouldn't say I know that you did stuff with Billy Corgan, but th- there was a picture of you with Billy Corgan. And <laughs> I used to yeah. work uh, for the NWA, and whenever I would talk to him, I always tried oh. to not talk about the Smashing Pumpkins. You know, I'd be like... Uh,
1: you know what, though? He likes talking about that shit. He's different a little bit, I think. I mean, I've only hung out with him really one solid time and talked to him on the phone a couple times, but and i really... I think he's a great guy, but um, he's He's he always talking about music stories and stuff, so that's pretty fun. He's got to kind of ride his wave of how he wants to do it.
0: I would just bring up, like, new metal songs that he wrote. I'd be like, yo, that Taproot track you did, that will tell me about that.
1: Oh, yeah. Does he remember?
0: <laughs> he remembers, but, like, nothing fondly. He just doesn't like working with anybody, I don't think. Uh,
1: yeah, you know what? I was really happy because... He definitely, and I think he would say this, he really enjoyed working with us for sure. It was different. I feel like we were all on the same page and we were like open books ready to listen and learn and not in terms of doing what everything that he said to do, definitely not. But I mean, the man's a genius. He's a musical genius. So I sit there and listen and learn and try to ask the right questions and try to just add to our skill set. And I think it helped and some of the results he was definitely really happy with a lot of them haven't been seen by the world yet
0: so we'll see so forever opens with the song forever which is kind of like your your anthem one of the songs that s- sticks with the the set throughout the, the evolutions of the band um yeah you pronounce orange orange in this song what what do you say orange code orange is forever that's how you say it.
1: orange that's how you say it that's what orange. i think
0: it, i think it's like two syllables orange
1: why would you do that in a song orange i
0: don't know you you it? can do whatever you want in the song you can make it as many syllables as you
1: want no dude writings all and in vocals are all about syllables i'll sit there and try to figure out a five syllable word or six syllable word for like two hours <laughs> just because i want to use the syllable so bad No, yeah, I definitely have a Pittsburgh accent, that's for sure.
0: When writing uh, vocals for this album, is it completely different than you do now because you had to focus on being able to play and and do vocals at the same time? Or because the vocals are always divided by all of you, does it not really make a difference? You write whatever you want?
1: I mean, it's changed a lot. I mean, I just listened because we were going to do this to like the first half of the record for the first time in like probably four years. It sounds like it was recorded in a fucking cave. (laughs) So one, the whole time we're touring, I'm like, why does nobody know the words? Like, why are we popular but so people don't know the words? And then and I realize it's like, you can't fucking understand a single word at the time. It's just like your mind is so fucking dip. Like your mind just changes over time. Like that's, that's all, I was just like mind blown. I was like, I'm, what the fuck? Like it didn't sound like it was in a cave at the time to me. <laughs> so just as as you keep getting growing older, things change. I'm just watching like things. It's just weird to be like a part of, you see how life goes and how you listen to music and how you hear things and how it changes, and how you've seen that happen for other people in different ways. And then it's like happening to you and you're like, it's so weird. It's very, it's 5D, you know what I'm saying? I'm, like, I feel like <laughs> I'm outside of myself. And I was listening to the record, and I was just like, "Well, I get it now. And you can't hear it. so but yeah, in terms of the way you write the vo- wrote the vocals, it's definitely a lot more collaborative. Now I wrote I write pretty much all of the lyrics. We to throw some things in now on the really just on the one on what we're doing right now. she's started doing that. Um, and she's been coming up with some great stuff too. But in the past I wrote the lyrics I put up the, on that. Underneath was a lot more people kind of knew what was going on ahead of time and this newer the new stuff we're working on everyone knows everything that's going on all the time but forever it was like here you guys go just do it like this and that was pretty much it you know it's more like a play or something but um they were always awesome at doing that and and again we were having to do things really fast i don't think we'd really come into our voices all the way yet i think we still are um So you know, being like twenty-two or twenty-one at the time we were making it. Twenty. So yeah, I mean, but but it's 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 a very different process now. I still write all the lyrics though, and and come up with most of the vocals for the most part.
0: Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing to take away from "Forever" compared to "Underneath," or you know, the one song that I've heard out for blood is that "Forever" is way more about like dynamics and. Um. Whereas underneath and especially upper Blood is about like songwriting like, like you said, you're really focused on making sure it's a song People can attach to it And I think that's of course a big reason why Bleeding in the Blur Becomes kind of the big hit from Forever Because you can kind of hear what's going on You can attach yeah. to that chorus and things like that And you start to see a little bit of that on Forever With that song and also Ugly but I love t-
1: Ugly, I think that's an awesome song It doesn't sound
0: the way it should, but I like it as a song a lot. I love Ugly. In fact, you know, I mean, it's cool because it hints at that, like, kind of grunge influence. And then when you guys did the acoustic performance, you can really see that kind of be fleshed out. I'd love to hear more songs kind of similar to that. It's such a cool... And it really stands out on this record because everything else is just (laughs) violence, whereas Ugly is a little bit more uh, contained.
1: I mean, I think there's different shades throughout the record. I think like Leading in the Blur, obviously, is a certain kind of dip. It's almost a little bit of a different style, but it's very melodic. And then, yeah, Ugly does have this kind of pull on the floor. It is kind of grungy and a little Nirvani. But then you got like, obviously, Hurt Goes On is a totally different picture. The mud's a little bit of a different picture, and then yeah, you have a good a good handful of like the kind of us cultivating the style of what we were doing at the time, you know, which is kind of this heavy cavernous evil stuff mixed with a little bit of electronic stuff and growing on that. And I think honestly, if you listen to our records in a row, you hear the sprinkles all in a row. It makes a lot. It makes a lot of sense. If you're, if you're really listening to it, you know, ugly leads to whatever, and, you know, bleeding in the bar leads to this, and hurt goes on kind of leads to this, and dream two, the last song. That definitely led to some things we did going forward, so. We'll be back after a quick break. You still loading them and heating them up with all your single shit you've been dropping. You feel mm-hmm. me? Loading them up on.
0: It, it only takes structure.
1: And, and, you know, just paying attention to the climate of the
0: game. Yeah. Nah man. So do do your homies uh got a role in your in your little you mean, Yeah,
1: yeah. We all we all artists over here, man. I'm y'all trying to yeah, yeah. I'm trying to get them on there. Yeah, look that. We all artists, man. We
0: go
1: you feel me? We're gonna have this like
0: bro, bro, me and my man, like me and my man Kyle. we be like, I don't know, we play with, we play with this <laughs> shit play with this shit. I gotta lie, we play with this shit right there for for real. Oh, I Don't play with it, take that shit When you guys wrote Bleeding in the Blur, did you feel, did you know at the time, like, oh, this is like the one that's going to put us in a different category? No,
1: I mean, again, Bleeding in the Blur was learned from "Dreams and inertia on the record before. It was like, okay, we made I Am King. One thing we had decided was, okay, we want to do we have this song, we want to put it really early on the track list because we don't want it to be a cop-out. You know, we want it to be, people to understand that it's a part of the picture, it's not supposed to be just like a cherry on top. Which I think, especially at that point, historically, that's what a lot of like heavy bands do. They kind of put some fucking droning song at the end or whatever, and it's like their little art piece, and then they close the book, and it sucks. So, basically, I mean, sometimes it's really good. I mean, actually, like, but like... Uh, it sucks as a concept i feel so we were like okay that's kind of a ballsy thing we did and just by singing a little bit on that you start to you start to spread your wings you know what i mean and so that kind of led to to bleeding in the border they're totally different styles but it just you 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 get the you know we were listening to a lot of like alice chains and kind of trying to blend that style with our style and with her voice which is unique as well and i think it created a unique little picture Again, I like the song. A lot of these songs, they're so different to me than they are on the record. And I realized that listening to it again, because they just sound so different live. And like the way we do them live is definitely the way that I visualize them and like the way I'll always remember them. And they're very different live. I mean, if you see tempo-wise and feel-wise and vocals-wise and clarity-wise, it's a lot clearer live. That's kind of the way that I like it, you know, so Bleeding in the Blur is definitely one of those. I really like the live version more.
0: Yeah, Bleeding in the Blur, I think, is the most glaring example of what you're talking about live just because it feels it feels like it doesn't stand out in, in a good way. It, like, feels like, you know, it's all uh, flesh with everything else that you're playing yeah. versus, like, oh, this is a weird part of the set where there's, you know, a different singing and stuff. It all kind of flows together. But, I mean, the sure. the signature moves of this whole record are you have the dramatic Silence, right? Just like it'll cut out completely mm-hmm. a bunch. And then the other the thing is cut. you do the slow, oh, dead cut. Is that what it's called? That's what I call it. <laughs> Sick.
1: When I yell at them to put the dead cuts in all the time, and then they say no, they're like, there's too many. And I'm like, underneath, we took it to the max. Now I don't so, think we can do it as much anymore. Underneath, we had to take like four of them out because. Take four Dead Cuts and five Nowhere to Runs out, and we're good. And that's what we ended up doing at the end. <laughs> because
0: it was just too much. But so we have the Dead Cuts, and then the other thing is, you know, the slow breakdown-y riff into... Now it's the fast, thrash riff. Like, that's like the two things that... You master on this throughout it. And I think that's another thing about something like Bleeding in the Blur, Ugly. Um, they really stand out because they don't have those two signature moves but that doesn't make them better or worse than anything else it's just you know they kind of stand out my favorite song on the whole album is spy which definitely does all those things so that
1: song is way better live too like that song live is fucking sick like when we did it at our uh, one of our live streams and it's so killer it's like i just like it better the flow. But yeah, that's all I'm sick to. I, I do like that. Song. And that's our first kind of, you know, and underneath, we threw a lot of those things out. Like we literally threw out on underneath, maybe I'm misremembering, but like the my world forever, the jump, you know, that's what we would call that. You were doing something slow and then jump it up fast, which we started doing on my world. That was like the first. And then that, that leads end up forever, which does it underneath. We don't really do that. And then we were trying to challenge ourselves a little bit. I think that's something we could bring back as well more. Cause we, we kind of just tried different techniques on the heavy songs than that. But yeah, those are definitely a few of the tools we were playing with the dead cut for sure. I thought, I feel it's like a signature thing in our sound at this point. And uh, I just like turning the lights off, you know? And like, we would tell Kurt blue or will or whoever, like cut all of it. And they would cut it. But then there would still be like fucking static and like white noise. I'm like, no like cut all of it and i just go through and cut it again i be like no cut all of it like it has to be actual silence you know what i'm saying because that it, it 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 awakens you it makes you pay attention and it's so easy to zone out during heavy stuff
0: yeah it's that horror movie trailer trick right you're just like the, yeah exactly
1: the exactly
0: you kind of touched on it earlier, but uh, hurt goes on is really like heavy. Oh, I guess the mud too, as heavy on the electronic influence, and then underneath, mm-hmm. I feel like really ups the electronics. But um, you were using yeah. them before, so it's yeah. not like it's brand new.
1: Oh, it ups- it upset a lot. I think we totally like leveled up tenfold in between the two. I mean, we were just doing what we could on forever. We're still learning. It's a long it's a long thing to learn. It took us taking a long time for him to get as good as he has, and for me to get the ear for it and. Uh, we just learned from a lot of different people and, you know, it takes time. It's like a whole new thing, new instrument.
0: Well, not only that, but just being, uh, for a long time, just the four of you, I'm sure that was a a thing that kind of got in your way where you were like, well, we want to be able to reproduce this live. I know now you have the additional, you know, members to be able to do that live. But at the time, I'm sure you were trying to Contain it all it's right. It's a fucking pain
1: in the ass. It's hard. It's hard to. We've had to change our entire setup to make it happen. And we worked really hard on that in like that eight months leading up to when we were supposed to tour at first. And we just reset our whole thing. And, you know, we tend to do that, but it was really a pain. But it's really been worth it. I think on this last tour, it was all sounding better than ever.
0: Now, after forever, not to jump around too much, but you do do a couple of those singles, and one of which has the singer from Stone Sour on it, Corey Taylor. Was that connection made through just, uh, you know, it seems like he became kind of a mentor for for you guys. Am I, am I misperceiving that?
1: He just became, he got into Forever and we connected. And Dave helped with that for sure. I got his number. We started talking. We were making that song. Those songs are totally like, you can totally hear the, the, evolution between the two records be of those songs, I think, for sure, in a lot of ways. Even though I wanted them to both be like their own little snapshots, like it's kind of like what we're doing right now in a different way, where it's like we had most of those The Underneath songs when we were putting out a lot, you know, Only One Way and The Hunt and Three Nuts, but they weren't meant, the Underneath songs weren't, weren't meant to be presented that way. I wasn't just like, oh, what's on? So it's like, okay, these songs aren't going to fit on the record, but they show something cool like for instance for the EP The Hurt Will Go On that had The Hunt and Three Knives and The Hurt Will Go On remix it was like those all just vibed the same way to me and I kind of wrote them together and they had their own little thing and I knew they wouldn't fit at all with with underneath so yeah but Corey I texted him while we were in the studio doing it and he was just down immediately right away he did it two days later and he was like sick so He's literally one of the coolest dudes ever. Love him. I'm just like, that's what I want you to do. And he was completely down with that. I mean, sometimes I do stuff like that and I look back and I'm like, damn, you're, you're just insane for being like hey, Corey Taylor, like, do this. And they're like, who are you to say that? But sometimes you just have to, you know, just go for it and see what happens. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. And that case, we won, and it was great. And it made our relationship better. I would love to have him on another song, honestly, that's, like, more of a key song. But I dig that song for sure.
0: Love that song. Definitely feel a connection to the band on that song with the sound that sounds like the phone is dying, a sound only a specific generation of people know the pain of.
1: You know, we, uh, my favorite, like, you know, I'm I'm a big David Fincher guy. Okay. And so that was, that song was very, uh, seven inspired, we'll say. So you can find some things on there, such as the hanging up part of the phone that are, let's say, inspired or whatever you want to call it. But yeah, we, uh, it's kind of like a connecting thread. So that's one of my favorite movies. And. That's kind of the headspace that song's in, and pick some things from it.
0: The hurt goes on, which is also part of that EP, but also on Forever. <laughs> the, the ending of it always reminds me of that Collective Soul song, December, where he's like, "Don't think about, don't think oh, about shit. it Turn your head."
1: That's true. Shit. <laughs> And
0: Collective Soul always reminds me of, uh, I'm sure you're familiar with the buffet-style restaurant Golden Corral.
1: Oh, yeah, I'm familiar.
0: So Golden Corral had an ad campaign where they had Collective Soul's song uh, Heavy playing, where the lyrics are, All your weight, it falls on me, it brings me down, which is a weird advertisement for a buffet place.
1: That is weird. There's a lot of weird stuff like that.
0: Was Dream 2 a part of a... Larger song that I know on the acoustic, uh, the unplugged kind of performance, you have the Dream One and Dream Two. So, where that was that entire piece of music written, and you just kind of pieced together what you wanted to use for it.
1: Well, do you see those lyrical connections. There's to that song. To, there's sonic connections. There's things that we built off of on underneath that that are in that song, and there's sprinkles of it in underneath, and that also, yeah, led into things we did on the acoustic album. Like Dream Three, which is Bray Wyatt doing, like, this basically this poem I wrote with like a uh, shade accompanying him. Sometimes it feels just like a dream. And that connects as well. So it's kind of a series that we started. I'll um, we'll probably continue in, in some way.
0: The Bray Wyatt thing, I know this is a couple of years later, but getting to do the. The, the entrance theme song for the fiends you just you like got just recorded it and sent it to him or like hey you should use this is that the hell that story goes
1: um not really i mean i just messaged him on twitter and was like we should do your song because i knew he hadn't been active in a while so i just knew in my head i was like he's definitely getting ready to do something else and he was like really and i was like yeah And we got on the phone and he had all, had some other bands try but they didn't do what he wanted so we talked and we just got on the same page. And I just knew what he wanted. And, and we gave it to him. And that's what he wanted. And then they said no a bunch of times. He kept fighting for it. And I told him to fight for it. I actually had a wrestling. My best friend is a huge wrestling fan. And knows more about wrestling than anybody. My fucking Dave Meltzer. And uh, he told me. He was like, tell him to talk to Paul Heyman. Because at the time, Paul Heyman was pulling some strings back there he was like a producer or something and so i did and he did i don't know if he was going to do that already but that's how it got through i swear to god that's sick paul heyman convinced whoever i don't think i ever got to see it live
0: have you guys ever considered playing that song live
1: we played it on our live stream that's a fun thing a live stream that never got released after we did it which is i think the best live stream that there was especially for what we made it for it was i think it's one of the coolest things we've ever done we need to release it properly but it was called back inside the glass and the encore is basically us playing in this 3d projected environment that we built and we projection mapped the whole room and every song had different environments and we would cut it kind of like a movie with there was like stage changes and outfit changes and all the stuff that we wanted to try and the last song was we did that we did it and that's the only time we'll ever do it
0: yeah, not to gas you up too much about this, but I really feel like uh, Code Orange, whether other artists and bands realize it or not, set the precedent with the whole live streaming thing. I mean, you guys were ready to go as soon as the pandemic happened. You were the, the first one to make that like a big event. Like we're doing a live stream. We're just going to do a show that way. I, I I feel like everyone kind of followed your lead on that, which I'm sure you don't think that's the first time everyone's <laughs> followed your lead, but I just feel like Code Orange in music in general that's
1: definitely that's definitely an obvious one for sure and Hmm. and again not to ever say that other people didn't do it and do it well but i think yeah for for the era we set a precedent for sure and yeah we definitely set a couple precedents as well i mean some of them get noticed and some of them get buried that's just life
0: when I was re-listening to this album to talk to you about it, I was thinking that the alternate title of Forever could just be like Poser Exposer. Like every song was about <laughs> we. I mean, I know you're the thinners of the herd, but it just really uh, lyrically, all these songs are just about getting rid of them.
1: The song, that record is really... I see the record as like an arc, an overall arc, and that's definitely getting clearer as we go on, so I'm not trying to like paint backwards. But during that record, I was thinking about a lot of fanatic things, and that record is totally the revenge. You know, that's totally what it is. The first record is kind of like the rebirth, and it was the rebirth of us. The I Am King record, I'm saying, I'm talking about, and that record was revenge because we just experienced a lot of nastiness, and there was a lot of things going on, and my heart was just heavy with hatred. It's just swinging at the walls of the empire, you know, lashing out and we decided to kind of turn that into the thematic concept for that record videos and the next record. And it continued to build, you know, and underneath is the next part of that story.
0: Where did the name come from other than you just proclaiming that you will be here forever? And how does that tie in with the artwork of the like person, that, well, I guess, getting choked out and bleeding?
1: Yeah that's actually uh ironically that's actually the person getting choked is actually our newest our who joined the band actually, uh, after dom so it's actually our hands choking him it's almost like an, an accidental initiation which then led to the idea of me making of of making the bleeding in the blur video like his initiation at the end you see we bury him alive and then he comes out anew and he's officially joined the band and in the Forever video, he actually he actually glitches in and out, but you can only see him on like a split frame. We had him jump in for like one take, and Max just glitched it in like this quick like twice. So I just I thought that was fun and cool a cool thing to do. But um, the Forever album title it just felt it felt exactly how we felt at the time, like unstoppable. I also thought it played in with the previous record. I am King forever, and it led somewhere to go. Uh, my buddy Colin Young from uh, Twitching Tongues and God's Hate and stuff, he uh, helped me decide on that. And I am King like the final titles. I would like send him title ideas, and he helped me decide decide on those. So shout out to him; he's really smart dude. And uh, it just felt like the right thing, you know, like when I saw. You know, I Am King It was, like, green because I was feeling like it's about, like, power and reclaiming oneself. And forever was fire, you know, was red fire, walking through it and changing, becoming something different. And definitely being consumed by hatred and hurt. So, and then it kind of started to become, as we were working on forever, I kind of started to see thematically, like, the long story that, story that we could tell, hopefully. Which is not something, which I wanted it to be something you could take or leave. Like, you know, you could leave it and you enjoy what's there on the surface. And if you take it, maybe there's more to get into and to get excited about and to be a part of our community.
0: But I do like that, uh, you know, you already kind of mentioned it and I knew it was a deliberate thing just based on the little that I know about you and the band is that, you know, everything is red. All the videos have a red and black motif the album covers got the red and black like i i knew that had to be a deliberate theme so that's cool that you're telling me that it's kind of like the fire the hate and green being for the power with i am king i mean you even say on i think it's on ugly green is the color of power and greed i, I wouldn't have known I mean, it is,
1: yeah i i say that and on uh now blood red's the only thing i can see because i was next i knew the next record was going to be red and uh we make color references on underneath as well I actually have all these documents that, like, I keep tra- try to keep track of all this stuff. I was gonna pull one up just because there's more. There's I have a lot of details woven in there that aren't just red and green and blue, you know. And there, we try to try to dig into it a little bit, or I try to, because it just helps me get more into it. Because I'm a big fan of, I'm 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 just a fan of art and and music and movies, you know. And so, yeah, no, there's just a piece and themes that. We carry throughout, you know, even like the theme we so on forever on Kill the Creator, you hear this at the the back half of the song, there's like this kind of and that is a theme that was on the song Your Body Is Ready on the I Am King record. And so it carries over to that and we start to introduce on keys the Hurt Goes On theme, which is this which was kind of our, it was the theme for the record, which at the, the beginning of Hurt Goes On, you hear it in the end. And it's like the theme for the, that whole song. And that is the same theme that starts and fades away, you know, on Deeper Than Before, the first song on Underneath. So we've carried like a lot of those things throughout. And there's a lot more sound effects and little things that we've tried to connect everything through. And on Forever, you can't hear a lot of it very well. As I realized listening to the record today, and I was like, well, this is why nobody fucking got it, because I'm a fucking idiot. And fucking when I mixed it, half of it just disappeared. But it's there.
0: Well, I think that that makes them feel like albums. You know, I mean, like underneath, uh, you didn't mention this, but I'm sure you would agree, is is like blue as hell, right? Everything's blue. The music videos are blue. The cover's blue. Feels like that's blue. It's cold. Yeah, sure. Ice, polar bears. Um, maybe you should have made the panther Not guy.
1: polar bears. Not polar bears? Not polar bears. No, oh, poor rare has got nothing to do with it, bro.
0: Why not? You should incorporate them.
1: They could if you want. I mean, I'm down.
0: Okay, thank you. Forever is red. You know, I am king is green. So I think that makes them feel, even like you mentioned uh, the singles, they don't feel like they're a part of either one of these albums because I don't see those colors when I'm listening to them. They feel like their own thing. So I, I think that's cool the way that you're able to separate thank them. Thank you.
1: I appreciate that, honestly. And that's why we did, like, to touch on Alpha Blood, Upper bug really has nothing to do with what we're doing after it. It's just its own kind of individual thing. And I think the aesthetic of it is for me perfect for that. Cause it's just, it's doing what I need it to do. And that's pretty much, and and it's kind of meant to be like a, a boiled down, double down version of what Code Orange is about on the surface for those who haven't heard Code Orange before. And that was what the idea was from, Step one of that. And that doesn't really have to do with what we're doing next. That's why I wanted to put it out this way. I wanted to take, okay, what is Code Orange on the surface and how do we really boil it down for people that don't know who we are, which is a lot, a lot, a lot of people and hit them in the face with it and also hit them with a little bit of our bar- bravado but also peel the curtain back a little bit, show them a little bit of what we can do, give them something memorable and strong and like you were saying, focus on the songwriting make it a catchy Song It's you know we wanted to do a song that was melodic, but and maybe some people would disagree this, but still felt hard to me. In the way that when I listen to like Dragula, it feels hard, or DMX, it feels hard. It's not hardcore. It doesn't have breakdown, but it's hard. It makes you want to hit yourself in the face or hit somebody else. And so we wanted to do a song that way because a lot of our melodic songs they don't delve in that. They kind of go different directions. Like we talked about Bleeding in the Blur. Sulfur Surrounding is like this range so ballad, you know, and then you got the easy way which to me takes place in almost this like Neo Tokyo Blade Runner a fucking Rainbow Road fucking environment. You know? So I wanted a song that was straightforward and that just made you amp you up. And it was like, it just hit me. It's like Code Orange is out for blood. It's simple. It's meant to be simple. But it kind of encapsulates one side of the band that I think people are familiar with, which is like a little bit of the bravado and attitude and uh, the willingness to push
0: forward. No, it makes perfect sense. And it actually makes me look. So first of all, I need to be clear that Out for Blood is my favorite Code Orange song across the board. So number one. Thank you. The next thing I want to say is that you explaining it that way makes it even sicker because you're saying it's like the the gateway drug to the other stuff that you do. Like maybe you couldn't immediately get into the song forever, but maybe first you get into Alpha Blood and then you get into underneath and then you kind of can go sure
1: and and that's not to stomp on Alpha Blood at all. Like I love Alpha Blood. I would love to jam it. I like when I'm fucking working out, there's finally a code orange song I can put on my workout playlist. You know, that really gets me going. It's not like We didn't have that. We have heavy songs that do that, but it's hard to explain, but it's like a certain lane of song for me that we wanted to, even a little bit like, it's not quite, but even a little bit like walk or something like that. Like something that's simple and it's just like, let's go. And we also wanted to sprinkle in a little bit of our, you know, vampire nightclub fucking (laughs) vibe that we have going on and just make it concrete for people so they really got it. It's like, okay, here's the aesthetic a little bit. This is the vibe. There's a lot of layers beneath it if you want to go there. And come join us, you know. And you know, I was very aware that that would, that's going to cause. I know how fucking stupid people are. Like not to be, not to be. I could, I understand if you don't like it. It's just like, it was done. It's been done the exact way that I was hoping it would be done. So, and 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 another thing is, it's the first time we've ever been on the radio. We're on about twelve radio stations right now. You know, we're getting played on Sirius XM, Octane five, six times a day. There wasn't a song on Underneath or Forever that was ever on Sirius XM XM Octane even once. They played it hundreds of times in a month. It just got added on WMMR radio in Philly. You know what I mean? It's like, it's doing what we wanted it to do. It's a hard journey for us. It's a hard road for us to get through the door. And it's taking us, it will take us longer than other people because what we're doing is different. And but we'll get there. This is part of that. But I'm proud of the song. I can't wait to play the song live. I think it's gonna be fun, you know. But I knew that we would experience some blowback as well.
0: I almost feel like that excited you. You were like, oh man, I can't wait to make people upset about this cool song.
1: Everything has its own lane, you know, like when we released Underneath first, I knew, you know, that was Underneath was a rat trap in a lot of ways. (laughs) Because I knew we had rat we had rabbit hole. The last show we did as Code Orange with me on drums was a show we were calling End of an Era. It's on YouTube, you can watch it. It was us headlining This is Hardcore Fest, you know, after playing first at This Hardcore Fest. And we had built our way up through that world in a lot of ways. And we were really proud of that. But more so, it was introducing themes to come. So the whole intro to the set is this sample documentary that's about raps and. You know, I think the line is like, put a rat in a trap so everyone can see him. And we repeat that. And that ramps up into us playing an old, an old song off of our oldest record that's called Nothing the Rat. But I say that to say, we knew underneath was coming a couple months later. We knew what was going to happen and what the blowback that we were going to receive. But we knew that we had to the rabbit hole second. That shit was already like in the can. So... It was almost like showing a little bit of a hand to that for whoever wants to pay attention, which is obviously nobody, like five people would ever pay attention to it. But that's what that was meant to be. And then it happened exactly that way. And that's what I get excited about because it's like, wow, like it happens like you can set it up and it'll just happen. And it's crazy. But yeah, and then underneath came out and we were criticized in a different but similar way for selling out and blah, blah, blah. But then I, we had Rabbit holes. so I wasn't even worried about it. I was like, you guys are going to look so fucking stupid. I just can't <laughs> even wait. So this is a little bit different because this isn't that. This isn't that. It's not a setup, but, you know.
0: Well, the funny thing about the song, as far as the criticisms go, are two things. One they say that it sounds like bands that are awesome as if it's an insult. they'll be like, Oh, it sounds like power man, 5,000, like, power man, 5,000 rules. I want an album. I want to write an album. That sounds like that. But even funnier than that to me is that people act like they could write a catchy song. Like everybody could write a catchy song and that would be what people do. Like it's such a skill that uh, is, is downplayed of being able to write a heavy song that can get on the radio that's sick and catchy and still, you know, the brand of Code Orange. So I think that's something you should be really proud of.
1: Well, I appreciate that for one, a lot. Thank you. But most of the radio stations are saying it's too heavy. So it's the same Catch-22 that we're in. You know what I mean? We're, either way we go, we can't win. We're doing something long-term. We're setting something up. Kevin Spacey even says it at the end of, of Seven. He's in the back of the car. He's like, you know, my work will be puzzled over and studied forever, you know, blah, blah, blah. And And uh, that's what we're doing. We're just doing our work. We're, we're committing our crimes. And eventually, there'll be a full picture to look at. And I think if people take the time to look, they'll see that I was something special. I hope. That's why I'm doing it. That's why I sit here and write and work and don't just write songs, but try to make something more out of it than that.
0: Kurt Ballou, I know, did uh, I Am King, and he does Forever as well, but you also bring in Will Yip, who goes on to do Underneath with you with uh, Nick Rascalinics, and Mm -hmm. what kind of uh, contribution do you think he made to the record? What kind of uh, influence did he have on the end result?
1: A lot. I mean, listen to how it sounds, you know. He has a certain kind of sound, and he rules at it, and it sounds different, but it also sounds like something that he did. What happened was I wasn't communicative enough. As we recorded an entire record, that he thought was the record, and he thought, okay, we're going to sprinkle a little bit of stuff on it at the end. No. Basically, a whole nother record that we recorded on top of the record that was a lot of the electronic stuff, which was a lot heavier in the record until it, it got cut out for kind of this reason and mainly that reason was time. Kurt Ballou works on a live, real, big mixing board with a certain amount of tracks. I didn't understand that. I wasn't even really aware of that, you know, because I'm stupid. So I went with Will Yip. Long story short, Kurt Ballou was like, we got to get this record off my fucking board in like three days. Reba called him. By the way, I love Kurt Blue. He's awesome. I mean, he just had another band coming, in, and then that's just how he works. Like he wipes the records off his thing, and that's it. It's not. It's very old school. So we panicked, begged for more time. Me and Joe drove overnight to Willie Yip's studio. We had recorded a lot of the vocals and uh, electronics with Will because we needed more time, and we had worked on the Adventures record with him. So we drove overnight, and me and Will and just stayed up for like two days straight doing like a basically a mix for him to be able to copy but long story short we sent him the shit he banged it out it worked out it was just up against the wire but i mean the drum sounds the guitar sounds all that i mean that's all super influenced by him and us just learning and getting better but a lot influenced by him he's influenced us a ton overall he's really he's a genius guy kerbalo but then I, when we were doing the next record, I was like, well, this will make literally no sense to do it. I mean, there's like thousands of tracks on it. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's ridiculous.
0: Well, you kind of uh, already went over the fact that if you could do something, I would normally ask you what you would do differently with Forever. It sounds like you would mix it differently, right?
1: Well, not mix it. Like, not like it's his fault. I just, at all, it's not. Mainly, it's like, one, my voice is bad and we did it needed to be to get better. And I think it has gotten a lot better. Like, especially on the newest stuff we're doing, I think it's way better. I think on underneath, it's getting there, it's fucking sick and it's just getting better and I feel better doing it. Um, that's a big thing. And just like, I do wish that some of the things we'd come up with, some of the sprinkles were able to stay because I think it would have made a little more sense with underneath. Um, we were still learning, but there was just more that was in there that had to get left on the cutting room before. Maybe that's a good thing. Again, many of the things I would change about it are the things that the people who tell me now that that was like the only good the last good thing we did was hate you know and but when we came out with that one they were saying that about the previous one like this one sucks i mean honestly we really have had and i think if you've followed us you know this we've had a rough go with like every time we do a new one a lot of people fucking hate it it's not like forever to the single underneath was a huge we were getting fucking hated on people kind of forget retroactively and I am king to forever, even forever, like when Bleeding and the Blur came out at first, it became really liked for sure. But it was like, what the fuck? Like this sucks, like that's kind of how every record is for us. We lose a lot of people and we have to gain new ones. So it's kind of tough.
0: Yeah, I mean, I definitely always saw it as that you became even more popular with each release. So the people that we, maybe sure. were originally there were resentful of that, but the quantity of the audience and probably the quality too went up so you know you you got rid of the stragglers because i saw I, I mean i saw code orange kids at a sports bar called the 50 yard line with i think full of hell i but i agree with you i remember when you know when forever came out like you said or even when i am king came out people were like oh I, you know they used to be good I, they, they haven't been good since they were kids oh yeah
1: yeah that's why i'm so numb to it i'm like this thing literally been going on the entire time like it's almost like you would think like i mean it doesn't matter because the world doesn't fucking revolve around us or any. So, but it's like, I would think like, don't you see this almost like a parody of itself in a lot of ways, like what you're doing? Like, this is like, it's just like so cyclical, like exactly what you would think. So it's almost like goofy, you know what I mean? To me. But, I mean, I get it. And, and if you throw on forever and then you throw on an owl for blood, like how I just did, I get it more. I do get it more
0: what is something about forever that you like more than the other records? What's something that stands out about that album that you, that you love?
1: I think the time period was fun because it's like people really discovering you and a lot of padding on the back, but at the same time we were getting criticized a lot as well. So it's always been a balance for us. So. It was. It was. It's. It's not my favorite record because my favorite record's going older of how they were done. I really do like Forever. I like Underneath a lot more, and I'll probably like this one more, even though this one's definitely different. The one we're working on is definitely a lot different. I can't narrow it down to one thing, but I think we definitely started to come into our own in terms of our visuals and in terms of our live sound. I think something I'm proud of us having done is we have three records that definitely are some people's favorite record of ours. Like a good chunk. Like I almost feel like it would be split. Like there's people that, like when I Am King came out, it was a little bit of hardcore platinum, you know what I'm saying? Whatever. I think it's a little bit of a, it could be a hardcore classic in some ways. And Forever did that in its own way. You know, people reference it as that. And underneath as well. So I'm proud of that, man. I'm proud
0: Thanks so much to Jamie for helping us celebrate being five years closer to forever by also being five years farther away from forever. And Code Orange all this spring will be on tour for forever, supporting bands like Korn and Chevelle and also headlining on their own with Loathe, Vended, and Dying Wish. So if you go on Instagram to Code Orange, T-O-T-H, all the dates are there and they're bound to be coming somewhere close to you. If you live in the continental United States and if you live elsewhere, they're probably coming your way soon, too. So just keep your eyes peeled because they're out for blood. And that's the name of the song. And my name is Ryan Rainbow. This is Meep Meep. And yes, that's the best that I could come up with. Bye.